Good morning. Glad that you're with us today. It's a good day, and obviously this weekend is a big weekend for so many folks, and lots of our people are gone today on vacation, and that's wonderful, and we're glad for them. But we're also excited that we have, it's like 98 or 99, it may even be 100, at preacher count it's 108, but people who are gone to Bandina camp today, to church camp, we have adults that are gone and kids that are gone, and how wonderful that is that, that our kids are learning and even our adults are learning while they're at camp. You know, there are lots of folks that talk these days, including me, that it seems like well, that many people in our country and our culture are going away from faith and going away from Christianity. So how wonderful is it that we have this wonderful time that our kids are getting closer to God? And so we, we love that, and we love what what our uh, interns are doing and what Mike Avery and Sean Freeman and others are doing, our sponsors with our kids, bringing them closer to Jesus. That's what we want for all of us. And today we're talking about King Jesus. Now we're in a series this summer, we started last week, started all the way back in Isaiah talking about Jesus. And so today we're going to continue to talk for several weeks about King Jesus and this idea that he is the one that we follow and he's the one that we give our allegiance to. Now, today we're going to start maybe in an odd place. We're going to start in the genealogy of Jesus in just a little bit. And some of you go, oh no, the genealogy, that's really exciting, right? And you know, a, a friend of mine, a man who became a follower of Jesus, told me that he wasn't, actually didn't go to church and wasn't baptized until he was like 26 or 27 years old. And he said the reason was that his parents didn't go and he got a Bible, he got a New Testament, and he opened it up and he thought, well, I'll just start on page one and I'll read through. And he gets to Matthew chapter one, the first book in the Bible, first chapter, and he goes, oh, I don't understand any of those words. I have no idea what it's talking about. So he went away from it. So you see it there on the screen, the very beginning. If you don't know that genealogy, turn in your Bibles or find the Bible on your phone and you can read the whole thing. We're not going to go through every name today, but we're going to go through part of them. Starts out with, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And it goes on from there. To be honest, I like genealogy. Ever since Ancestry.com and 23andMe and all those things came out, I really think it's kind of fun. Now, some of you saw this earlier, and thanks to Tim and Matt who hid this, because I didn't want you reading this instead of thinking about the songs. But I'm going to try to take this down for you to see. This is going to be my, the beginning of my genealogy here. Ooh, watch how it just comes down. Wow, I'm like Vanna White. So... So, <laughs> so, so this is me down here at the bottom, and obviously this is very limited. It only goes back a few generations. But you see my family tree, and thanks to Amber Aubrey for painting this for me. You know what it would look like if I would have done it? It would have just kind of been a stick, right? And so you see my parents here, my dad, obviously last name Duncan, and I wonder where my mother's family is from. Their last name is Britton, right? You can kind of figure that out. And so then there were the Huffs and the Whites and the Rices, maybe white rice, and, and the Hundorfs and, and McCoys, and then there are lots of other names like Jackson and Pollock and lots of other names that come into the family. And to me, this is kind of fun to find out things about folks. Like, like Cindy Deister sent me an article just the other day about this man's dad 
who moved from Indiana to, to Kansas in the, in the 1860s, trying to keep Kansas uh, as a free state, not to allow slavery. And, and the article was about some of the things that he did. Where I was just reading about my grandmother's family, Huff, and, and someone had done the research, and I went all the way back to the 1600s when they came to the United States when it was known, they came to the city known as New Amsterdam. Now, some of you, you know the TV series, right? But it's more than that. You know that that is New York City, the Dutch part. They came from the Netherlands to the U.S. I didn't even know that I had blood from the Netherlands in me. So it's interesting to me to see how all that comes together. And so genealogy has a place. We'll talk about all that in a minute. But here we are in the genealogy of Jesus. And here we are going all the way back to the time of Abraham when God is creating a great nation. But I want you to see the way that the Holy Spirit inspires Matthew to write this. It says the genealogy of Jesus, not just any Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. And so you see all the way from the very beginning here, this is about the Messiah. The Messiah is another name for that, a Savior. About the Savior of the world and what the Messiah is doing. And so... So you have all these names, and we won't go through all of them, but every name has a story behind it, like every name here on this board has a, has a story behind it of some type. And it's important for us to know how God fulfilled his plan. Because God had a plan that he started not 10 years before, or 100 years before, or even 1,000 years before. God had his plan, and he was working through history with all these different people. And it's amazing to see what he did. And so today we'll look at a few of these. Now, God was faithful to Abraham. Abraham was the first name you saw there, right? Abraham was known as the father of a great nation. And God calls him when he doesn't even appear to know God. And God calls him and says, go off to a new land, and I'll make you something great. Whenever you get there, I'll make you into a great nation. And in Genesis chapter 22, verses 17 and 18, I want you to see one of the places that talks about that blessing that God had promised to Abraham. He said, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, if not, go back to Genesis and read it and, and start in about chapter 11 and read all about, about Abraham. There's a lot there. But if you know that story, you know that they waited forever for a descendant, for Isaac to be born. Like 25 years, they're waiting. And all along, Abraham's thinking, okay, God, where are you? Where are you? What's happening? And every once in a while, he would fall into sin and he would doubt and God would bring him back. And all of that's going on and what what. Abraham doesn't realize is that God is working on Abraham's heart as well as probably the hearts of other people all at the same time. But God was alive and active. And then he says, I will make your, I will give you offspring and all nations on earth will be blessed. Well, Abraham doesn't live long enough to see that. He lives a long time, but not long enough to see that. And so how would God do that? God makes a promise and God fulfills his promise, even though Abraham was not alive to see it, he still did what he said he would do. Now, I guess when Abraham gets to, got to glory, or gets to glory, however that works, that he would understand this and know it, maybe. But what's important is God is faithful to the promise that he made. And then in Genesis 17, 19, a similar thing there, then God said, 
yes, but your, to Abraham, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. An everlasting covenant. Now that's a long covenant. You know, it's not even till death do us part, right? When you say everlasting, you're going past death. And so God says he would do this. And how would God do that? There would be no way for, for Abraham to see the end of that or Isaac to see the end of that, except you know the end of the story, and then obviously we can live in the afterlife and know. But, but just as on human on earth and in this body, there's no way to know all of that. But God would be faithful and God would work through his plan just as he said he would work. And then there was another man besides Abraham and besides Isaac. There's another one there by the name of David. You may know that King David was considered by many the greatest of all the kings. Most of us have seen some kind of TV program or read about King David because we know about Bathsheba or David's armies or whatever it may be. And God said that he would be faithful to David as well, that there would be his throne would last forever. But how in the world would he do that? I want you to see the promise that God made to him back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, where God said to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Once again, David's saying, well, forever, what is forever? Like 10 years, 50 years, 100 years until time runs out? What does that mean? God said forever. Now, you know some from what we studied last week, but from other times in history, sometimes Israel, David was the king of Israel, sometimes Israel is not doing right. I mean, there are periods that they go through really bad kings. And it would be easy, if you are a political pundit of the day, to say God was not right because his throne is a mess or it's not even doesn't even look like it exists for the moment. And it's divided and everything else you could have said. If you were looking at it at this level, you would maybe say God had not been faithful to his promise. But when you see this big picture all at once, you realize, no, God has been completely faithful. God has never gone back on a promise. God does what God says he will do, not in our timing, the way we imagine, but the way that God imagines and the way God does it. And so sometimes we may even doubt God ourselves because we see this. Well, obviously this, this, and this, and God isn't doing as I thought he should, and so obviously God isn't real or God isn't faithful. And what we don't realize is, oh, definitely God is faithful and God is real and God is doing as God always said he would. It's just not in our timing and it may not even be in our generation. It may not even be in our lifetime. But God is still faithful to what God said he would do the way God said he would do it. And how he's faithful to the throne of David here is that the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus plays into all of this. It's at the very heart of everything. Because you see, David, this is the genealogy, remember, and it's the throne of David. And now Jesus, in the earthly sense, is in the line of David. He is on the throne of David, in a sense. It's obviously the throne of God. But he's there, and Jesus defeats death and reigns forever. Which means that God was being faithful to David, just as God said he would be. God is faithful to, to Abraham. He's faithful to Isaac. It's this everlasting covenant that will go forever because Jesus defeats death. 
and everything that God said, everything that God promised and God fulfills, even though the people of the day didn't see it, because they're thinking, okay, in the next 15 minutes you'll do what you said, God. And it's not God doing it in the next 15 minutes or even the next 15 years, and it may not even be in the next 1,500 years, but God is faithful to what God said. When you see the genealogy, that is what's happening. And while it can put us to sleep sometimes, it is all showing the promises of what God did. And then God's faithfulness, it may surprise us. You know, there's people you say, boy, that person, if anybody has ever deserved to go to heaven, it's so-and-so. That man or that woman, they have done everything so right in their life. I mean, they never even thought a bad word in their life. If anybody deserves it, we'll talk about that. Those are the people that we think deserve a lot. But God sometimes surprises us with the people he'll use and the people who are in his plan. And, and it's people that we can't see. It's, it's stuff we can't even understand. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Well... In the genealogy of Jesus, he's blessed Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, these four women who for some people in all cases were a little bit questionable about one thing or another, but all of these women are grandmothers of Jesus, great, great, great grandmothers of Jesus, but they're all in the lineage of Jesus and who would have thought it? Now, some of you may not know about each of these women. I'll tell you very quickly, Tamar, for example, is a woman whose husband died and she didn't have, an, she didn't have a descendant. And so we're not going to go into all the story, but she ends up dressing up like a prostitute and then ends up having a child. And, and that would certainly seem a little bit questionable for a person to do. That's not usually the way we go about things. But she is in the lineage of Jesus. And somehow God blessed her. And so you take Rahab. Rahab is known as a prostitute that lives in the city of Jericho. But you remember that she helps the spies. And after Jericho is being destroyed, she leaves and goes off with, with, with uh, the Israelites. And somehow she has a child. And that child that she has is in the lineage of Jesus. And you know what's interesting about both of those women? Or, or what's interesting about, about Rahab here? Not an Israelite. Not an Israelite, a Gentile. A Gentile is anybody who's not an Israelite. And often the Israelites or the Jews thought that a person that wasn't a Jew or Israelite didn't have any value. And God is saying, oh, Tamar, she has value. Rahab, she has value. Go to the story of Ruth. You remember Ruth, she also lost her husband. She was not an Israelite as well. She is a Moabitess. When I hear the word Moabitess, I always think of Lebitus, you know, that thing people have sometimes illness or disease whatever you want to call it no she was from the country of Moab which was really close to Israel but it was not Israel and you remember that her husband dies she ends up going back to Israel with her uh, to Israel with her uh, mother-in-law or I guess we may say former mother-in-law however you want to word that goes back to Israel with her with Naomi and there in a sense she comes and and says to Boaz take me and through that, the line of David, and David is her grandchild, and the line, Jesus, is in that line from Ruth, a woman who is not a Jew, a woman who is, is as poor as can be, who has to just eat basically the dregs and the leftovers, is in the line of Jesus. And so then you take Bathsheba. 
Bathsheba is the most famous of all, and it doesn't look like Bathsheba did anything wrong at all. David was the one who was supposed to be a man after God's heart, but was not acting like God whenever he saw Bathsheba. He was acting more like Satan than he was God. And you remember he calls Bathsheba over, and then he ends up having a child with Bathsheba. And somehow, God, in God's infinite wisdom, in doing things completely differently than I would have if I would have written the script, in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, you have Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. God was at work and this line all the way through. It is amazing what God was doing. You know, God wants all people to be saved. All people. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what what shade of skin you have, whether you call yourself white or black or something else, God wants you to be saved. Doesn't matter if you speak English or if you speak French or if you speak Swahili or if you speak whatever, God wants you to be saved. Doesn't matter if you have a passport, never had a passport, you couldn't get a passport, God wants you to be saved. God wants every person on the planet that has ever lived and ever will live to be saved. And so he sends his son, Jesus the Messiah, and he works through all these people, all through history, God has chosen to work through them in ways that we wouldn't have imagined for his son, Jesus Christ. Because he wants all people, and he is demonstrating through history, I want all people in my kingdom. All people to come to know Jesus, to be forgiven of their sins, and to be baptized into Christ, he wants them all. He said, well, okay, so for poor people, but who else does he want? Well, God also wants those that we call the greats. Those that we sometimes think are important. People like we see in Matthew 1.6, it's David, and we've already talked about David. God wants David, and so obviously there's a place for David. He also wants Solomon, who was considered the wealthiest man that ever lived. God wanted him as well. He's in the lineage of David. Then there's a king you may not know of, although there's a a famous mention of him, King Isaiah. You remember whenever Isaiah has that great, that great uh, uh, epiphany, I guess you would say. It says, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw God seated on the throne. And it talks about what it's like at the throne of God. Well, it says, when King Isaiah died, some people say that David's greatness, actually, David was great, but the wealth of Israel and the military strength of Israel wasn't in the life of David, but actually came in the life of Isaiah. And God has a place for Isaiah in the lineage of Jesus. And then there's that other king that was a famous one who did good things and God saved his life was King Hezekiah. And all those are listed in that genealogy. So whether you have nothing or you have everything, there is a place for you in the kingdom of God. Whether you are Jewish or you are, you are Gentile, which probably most of us are, meaning you are not Jewish, there is a place for you. If you are male or you are female, there is a place for you. You have a good reputation or you have a bad reputation. People come and pat you on the back and talk about how great you are and you get the promotion at work. Well, there's a place for you in the kingdom of God. And if you find yourself at the fields picking up the dregs and the leftovers and calling and asking for help because you don't have much, like Ruth and Naomi would have been, there is a place for you in the kingdom of heaven that God has been working through the lineage of Jesus to bring all people together because he wants all people to be saved and all people to come to Christ, to come to salvation. What well, is obvious when you think about all these people of God using 
people who are sometimes called paupers and God using people that are called kings and using them all together that God went to a lot of work with this family tree. There's a lot of work that goes into that. Now for just a second here, I want to go off, this isn't really off script for me, but you're going to think it is. I'm going to chase a rabbit for a minute. So when I look at this family tree, and I think about these folks, and some of you know some of this story because I've shared it before. My dad is born with a broken back, first person to walk born with a broken back. Wow, it's amazing that his back got fixed and he was able to even have children, and, and the, all of that happened. To think, to think that these Huffs over here came to the United States back in the 1600s, and they come from the Netherlands, and to think that the Hundorfs here, this would have been my dad's, I guess, grandmother, he knew her, I know that for sure, that she never learned English. She came from Germany before, before, after World War uh, I. To think about all of that and all the way all these families came together, realizing that these two sides of the family didn't even know each other, and that God was at work all the time through generations and generations, obviously way past that. And it all culminates in David and me. I must have some value. Because a lot has happened for me to be me. That's incredible that God was at work all the time for me to be me. Now, now, now this sermon is not about me. But I want to say this for you. You have a family tree. You have descendants. You, you, have, you have ancestors that came from different parts of the world. And somehow, families that didn't know each other, and somewhere, somewhere, something sparked, and someone, you know, met, and all those things that happened. And today, you are who you are. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, God has been at work making you. And you also are valuable. Now, none of us are the Messiah. But we are all valuable. Because we are made in the image of God. And God has done something very incredible through all of that. Now, back, now back to this about Jesus. Fulfilling promises is important to God. And he showed how important that was and how big a deal it was for him to... to to fulfill those promises. And so you go over centuries of God fulfilling those promises. Whenever people didn't see it or even understand it, I can just see people, people that just have this little tunnel vision thinking that they know all the answers like we do. And all this other stuff is going on that we can't see or imagine because we haven't been, been given uh, knowledge of it. But God sees it all. You know, I want things to happen right away. Right away. Not too long ago, I put some chicken in the, in the microwave, and I put it in like for 20 seconds, and you know, I'm going to eat my frozen chicken as soon as it comes out. And it was still cold after 20 seconds. I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong with this microwave? Because I want it right now. Right now. And so that's the way it comes with problems and issues in life, right? And things that we go through, whether we've lost our job or we have an issue in a relationship or whatever it is, we want it right now. And God says, I'm working through generations and in ways you cannot see or imagine and you may never even understand. You may die not understanding and maybe when we get to the other side, we'll know. Maybe God will let us in on it, but there's a chance we won't even care at that point. But God is at work 
And so what he was at work at doing was, making, was having Jesus be king and showing us that he is king. God's plan was for him to be king all along. It's not on your screen today, but you probably, some of you have read Philippians chapter 2, and you know that what the Bible says in Philippians 2 is that Jesus emptied himself and became in human likeness like us and went through the, the issues that we have and never sinned. He was tempted in every way, but he never sinned and knows what it's like to be human because he's lived it. And can you imagine the time that he came? When I was a little boy, we always talked about the perfect time for Jesus to come. And it was, I'm not getting away from that, but I want you to imagine what he lived in. He lived in a time without, without cars. He lived in a time he didn't have any internet. And he didn't have air conditioning. Can you imagine how hard that would be? But he came for us as King Jesus. He is King Jesus. He has defeated death. He has, he has taken death out of the way so now that we can follow him and live with him forever. So when you start thinking about all the generations that God has been at work in, coming together through all those different people, people from Solomon to Tamar, and coming together and all those people and having this huge picture in the likeness, in Jesus, Son of God, being King Jesus. Shouldn't I follow him? If God has been up to that all these years, shouldn't I follow what God has been saying all along and working on all along? This morning would be a great day to be baptized. You would remember this weekend because it's a holiday weekend. But more than that, you would remember giving your life to King Jesus. And saying, I want to be in the kingdom of King Jesus forever. I don't want to be in the kingdom of King Devil or King Satan, whatever you want to say, King Me. I want to be in the kingdom of King Jesus. Sins washed away, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, be part of His kingdom. And others of us, Maybe we need prayer and the whole church will pray for you. You can write to us at elders at mcoc.org and the church will pray for you. But it even goes past that. If you have questions, you say, hey, I'm, I come, I hear these things, but I don't really know what it all means. You can ask me personally or you can ask someone else that sits by or you can write to us at elders at mcoc.org because we want to know King Jesus. We want to follow King Jesus. We want to put him first in everything we do. Come this morning as we stand and sing.